Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me as usual is Cameron. Now I notice you say the word usual and not always. Mm-hmm. Are you recording episodes of this without me? Uh, I might be recording episodes of this with a different you from earlier or later in the timeline. Now I'm, just, now I'm mad about it. <laughs> Using my little computer screen to find some some later. Oh, my God. The the a chronological podcast discussion uh, through Trollian. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we are finishing up uh, episode three of this show uh, with part three in which we discuss the end of act four. Uh, and you know, a little bit after the end of Act 4, I guess. Uh, I will go ahead and start the summary. Please. John explores the lab where we left him last time and finds some familiar things, like Maplehoof the Pony and Dave's Dream Cal, while AR rides Bro's illegal rocket board around the Vale. On Prospect, Jack Noir's minion, the courtyard droll, pickpockets the Queen's ring from PM, but is immediately pummeled by Jade, who takes possession of the treasure. On the Skyan battlefield, a war-weary villain, tired of the damage to his farm, unites the soldiers of the Light and Dark Kingdoms and leads them against the Black King. Simultaneously, PM arrives on the battlefield and speaks with the White King, who also immediately abdicates and hand- hands over his scepter. PM loses it shortly after in an ambush by another Noir agent. Jack Noir himself, empowered by the Black Queen's ring, also arrives on the battlefield and kills the Black King. Rose and Dave go on alchemy binges, and Dave finally gets around to reading Rose's duplicated journals. One is just the word meow over and over and over again, and the other is an excerpt from The Complacency of the Learned, a bizarre novel Rose was writing about a group of aged wizards who uncover a mass murder plot by their twelve child apprentices. Meanwhile, Rose destroys her original journals, saying she is receiving messages from what she calls the gods, mysterious creatures outside even the kingdom of Purpo in the darkness beyond the game session, who are trying to avert some sort of consequence of the kids' playthrough. Rose's duplicate journals, meanwhile, are stolen from Dave's room by a noir agent, the Draconian Dignitary. Dave would go back in time and stop it, but because of the nature of time loops, he sees his own corpse on the floor already and knows that that would fail. In the lab, John watches on a series of monitors as, sometime in Earth's past, a meteor strikes a Betty Crocker plant outside his old neighborhood. His dad and Nana witness the event, and John uses the machine to make an ectobiological goo pile copy of his Nana. John then sees Jade's grandpa, accompanied by a baby Jade, and makes a similar ectobiological goo copy of him. He does the same for Dave's bro, who is seen in the aftermath of a meteor taking out his favorite record store, and Rose's mom, who carries an infant Rose and witnesses a meteor strike that takes out the joke store his Nana used to run. It is immediately clear that each of the kids somehow arrived on Earth via these meteor strikes. The machine uses the piles of copy goo to create infant clones of Nana, Grandpa, Mom, and Bro, then mixes the genetic material and produces infant clones of John, Rose, Dave, and Jade. 
In case we didn't know what was going on, Carcinogeneticist shows up to holler some explanations. The very structure of the game itself, it turns out, is a stable time loop, and the players are predestined to create themselves and their guardians. The babies John just made will be placed on meteors in the Vale, which rocket towards Skya once the game reaches the Reckoning, an end state where the Black King takes the White King's scepter. Skya's portals will open as a defense mechanism, and the meteors will be redirected to random points throughout Earth's history. Also, John and Jade are technically brother and sister, as are Rose and Dave. CG explains to John how the massive mistake the kids are going to make, which has also somehow affected the Trolls game session, involves Jack Moore, a standard game NPC who was actually the Trolls' ally during their playthrough, but who in the kids' game has subverted the normal order of gameplay. In the heat of all these astonishing revelations, John realizes he's surrounded by darling children and has a bunch of toy bunnies, so he is moved to reenact the final scene of Con Air, where Nick Cage gives his daughter a toy bunny, complete with a cover of Trisha Yearwood's How Do I Live? AR rides the rocket board to a meteor carrying the frog temple that is destined for Jade's Island, where he sees another monitor-based cloning device. It displays John's infant grandmother, who is being raised by Colonel Sassaker, until he is shot by a baby grandpa who lands in the backyard on a meteor dual-wielding pistols. They are both then raised by Sassaker's evil wife, implied to be Betty Crocker herself, until young Grandpa runs away with their beloved dog, who looks a lot like Jade's dog Beck. In the Frog Temple, AR hides as the draconian dignitary enters the lab, tossing aside Dave's beta discs, which land in the Lotus Pod uh, time capsule, from which we've already seen Jade retrieve them. Adios Toreador contacts Jade and admits how depressed he is since the Trolls version of Prospect was destroyed, apparently, and all their dream selves are dead. Rose and Grim Auxiliatrix have a terse conversation where GA tries to make up for her earlier hostility. Gallows Calibrator messages Dave, mocking him for how obviously disturbed he was by finding his own corpse, before offering to help him as she has John. We jump back in time and watch as Dave enters the medium just after being rescued by Bro, who uses his katana to slice the overhead meteor in half. In the medium, Grandpa's flying battleship that he has for some reason carries Mom and Dad as they catch up after having met briefly on the day that Nana died. On the battlefield, Jack slaughters the rebel army led by WV before CD brings him the White King Scepter, initiating the endgame. In the lab, the infant kids and guardians are teleported to their meteors. In the Frog Temple, AR looks on in terror as DD uses Rose's Meow Journal and the cloning machine locked on Nana and Grandpa's childhood dog to create a puppy version of Beck. The White Queen flees Prospect just as Jack Noir attacks, destroying much of it and dropping the moon from orbit into Skya toward the battlefield. Noir flies on to the land of Heat and Clockwork where he faces Bro in a duel atop a massive floating record turntable before Bro plunges his katana into the ground and flees. 
John's sleeping dream self tumbles from the fallen tower of Prospet, and Dream Jade swoops in to save him. She tosses him out of the way, but is herself crushed by the falling moon, which obliterates a substantial portion of the battlefield, leaving John's dream self suddenly awake and very confused. On Earth, the sleeping Jade's dream bot explodes, just as CG once warned it would. The blast sends Jade tumbling from her own bedroom toward the ground. The meteors carrying the babies and their various items, like the Sassaker book, the dual pistols, and Dream Cal, are routed by Skya to their appropriate points in Earth's timeline, closing the originary paradox loops of all the major characters. On Jade's Island, the largest meteor yet looms into view behind her broken tower as Beck looks on. Act 4 ends. Then a few more things happen. Rose updates her game fact for the last time, explaining she is no longer interested in playing by the game's rules and plans to intervene somehow in their apparently unwinnable situation. PM presents Jack Moore with the crowns of the white royalty. True to his word, he gives her Jade's birthday present for John. On the battlefield, John takes the queen's ring from Dream Jade's corpse, then meets PM, who delivers Jade's present. Inside, John finds a letter from Jade's pen pal, a mysterious character we haven't met before, but someone who seems to have endless optimism and loves cheesy movies. John is nearly killed by Jack Moir, but the birthday present reveals itself as a cybernetically enhanced stuffed con air buddy wielding powerful endgame weapons, and which is now only loyal to John. Jack flees. Grandpa arrives and retrieves Jade's dream corpse, which he tearfully taxidermies before leaving. On post-apocalyptic Earth, WV reveals to the astonished exiles that he has been in possession of the White Queen's ring all along. Then, Andrew Hussey comes back and recaps all the stuff that's happened since the last time, but again, we don't really need to talk about that because I'm here. Wow. So where'd that goddamn bunny come from? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is like. <laughs> this is uh, hell. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I've, I've mentioned before that I was reading Homestuck from early on, uh, but it took a long time for Homestuck to really lock me in. Uh, sometime during the last reading segment is definitely when I started reading the forums. Uh, that was when I was starting to sort of piece together the meta plot. Um, and it is in this uh, series of updates that I am basically on board. And I'll talk more about sort of what that means later. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think part of what really made this work for me is that so many things are revealed, but also so many other things. It, it normally, right, I'm allergic to this stuff, but like the things that were sort of like confirmed or revealed were so interesting to me that even the further mysteries of like, what the hell is this bunny? Um, I was willing to kind of live with them because, yeah, you're right. It's it's so, so totally weird. So John has had this Con Air bunny the entire time. Or not the entire time, right? At one point, he had uh, uh, he 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 loses it, and then he gives it to a salamander, um, which I forgot to mention in, in last episode. That that panel where he takes the salamander and capture logs it is so funny to me. Mm -hmm. I really like his relate. What what's his name? Uh, it's like Yancey or something. Uh, Casey, like Casey, that's right. <laughs> Casey the salamander, named after the the daughter in Con Air. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, of course, uh, when he abandons Casey at Rose's house, Rose takes on Casey as uh, her apprentice and renames Casey Viceroy Bubbles Von Salamancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Uh, in the same way that uh, John renamed the cat Meowgon Spangler, I, I love the I love the kids just constantly renaming each other's pets for some reason. That's very funny to me. That it's re- I have the exact opposite reaction <laughs> where I where I like when that happened, I was like, Jesus Christ, like <laughs> it's so it's like the definition to me here of complications for for no tangible benefit other than these kids think it's fun to do that. <laughs> and like I told and like that's absolutely like a way of engaging with this work like I totally get it right like there's no part of me that that doesn't understand like that's part of the fun of the thing it's like oh what what are the kids going to name the thing mm-hmm. um and but I I you know I can't can't deny my heart mm-hmm. I hate it uh so uh the question then about these bunnies John has the Conair bunny uh which he picks up uh, eventually, he picks up uh, Rose's present to him, which turns out to have been another bunny. And it looks a lot like the Con Air bunny, but it's been like, you know, uh, run ragged and then repaired through Rose's knitting. Uh, and then eventually uh, we get him opening Jade's present and it looks an awful lot like the Rose Bunny, which is to say that the bunny that has been like re-knitted and repaired has also mm-hmm. now been fitted with like robotic cybernetic enhancements and is now like walking around on its own and is carrying uh, guns and like magic wands and a sword, uh, just all of this bizarre stuff. Um, and what we learn through all of the time loops being closed here is that all of these bunnies that John has in his possession uh, get sent back in time to Earth where they were always already back in time on Earth. So, uh, you know, uh, Rose gets sent back. Baby Rose gets sent back with the baby or with the original Con Air bunny. Uh, She grows up with it, runs it ragged, uh, then knits it. And then the knitted version is also picked up by John, sent back in time with baby Jade, who then uh, takes it and sends it to her pin pal by means currently unknown. And the pin pal uh, uh, is also currently unknown. The pin pal adds all of these robotic enhancements and then sends it back to Jade. Uh, And now it's, you know, the bunny has spent uh, the entirety of the story, like bouncing around in the box, waiting for, for John to pick it up. But not before, as you asked in the last episode, Uh, Jack opened it up and used the bunny to kill the Black Queen and seize her ring. Yeah, why was he able to do that? The bunny just does whatever you tell it to? Uh, Yeah, like because Andrew Hussey wanted that to happen. Um, Someone asks, so the the, the confusing thing here, right, is that uh, uh, Jack uses whatever is in the box. We don't know what it is yet. Finally, here in kind of the post end of act updates, we see what is in the box. And because we know all of the time bullshit has already happened with the other bunnies, it's sort of not a surprise that this is another bunny. Uh, It's rather than listening to Jack, uh, it protects John when Jack tries to kill it. Um, There Mm -hmm. is no the, the narration says, you know, it has taken a new master which is a very oblique way of saying what Andrew Hussey ends up saying in a form spring response, which is just like, yeah, like the, the bunny like was willing to listen to anyone. I get like 
what Hussey actually says is just like it took on John as the new master, meaning that mm-hmm. like when it was convenient for the bunny to do what Jack wanted it to do, that's what it did. And now that it's, I guess, in the hands of the person who was supposed to have it all along, it is loyal only to John. You would not believe how disappointing it was to me when that rabbit popped out of that box. <laughs> Like we we talked about in the last episode or last recording about um, the kind of like random monkey cheese humor, mm-hmm. you know, in writing style that appears sometimes here. This this is like the the culmination of that metaphysically to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what if it was all the garbage, the like goofy garbage that's been here so far? What if that was like the most important object in the series so far? Which it is, right? The mm-hmm. the, the tool that cuts the the you know the the Sauron finger off of uh off of the Black Queen, that that's been the most important thing that's happened so far as far as like actions that have been taken. Mm-hmm. And there were like a million things that could have been. And for it to, when it popped out and it was revealed to be a rabbit with covered in like sharp objects, I like speechless, absolutely <laughs> speechless when that occurred and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a thing that I, I don't know about sort of like the specific aspects, like how far some of this was planned out, but uh, mm-hmm. in the print commentary for the books, uh, Hussey does say that all of the the sort of time loop bullshit with the Con Air bunny was kind of planned from the beginning. Like we were always going to end up here uh, and to further contextualize it a little bit. Um, this is the sort of thing that would happen left and right in Problem Sleuth. There would be like specific objects that because of like really obtuse game mechanics would get flown into like. Uh, alternate timelines or into like the future and then in the future would somehow create the conditions of their own past emergence and uh, so on and so forth. Right. That this kind of like really, really silly, like uh, I, I think I mentioned this in a, in a previous episode, right? Like uh, the, the glasses that Dave wears, the Ben Stiller shades are an object that is in problem sleuth and they do this, right? The Ben Stiller shades go through this entire massive complicated uh, loop and exchange of hands to the point that uh, the joke at the end of problem sleuth is that the Stiller shades have witnessed everything in the timeline. Hmm. Because as I said, like the, there are things that are pulling me in here uh, very, very strongly and so strongly that I am willing to overlook the things that I think are just sort of like silly and like, eh, whatever, like this bunny. Um, but also, I think maybe I was less disappointed than you precisely because I could look at it and be like, well, this is not my favorite thing, but I also kind of understand in terms of genealogy how it got here. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can also do that. Yeah, uh, it, it that that does not uh, overcome my sense of loss here. <laughs> oh, certainly not. Um, yeah, I don't. It, it just, uh, you know, and I'm not. I'm not belaboring this. I, uh, you know, just because of uh, I, I don't like it. I'm belaboring it a little bit because it's like, it seems like Homestuck has been aiming for something bigger than this. Mm-hmm. for like the last thousand pages and then this is something it makes a lot of sense to me that you know who knows if it's true if it was really planned from the beginning or not but this feels like a easy payoff joke from two thousand pages ago you know mm-hmm. it doesn't really feel like what's been going on in the past 500 600 pages of this comic of like jack noir 
just obliterated like the entirety of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it, in some ways, like cut across. One would assume there were a bunch of gameplay steps that the, the characters are supposed to be taking here, and Jack Moore just kind of like knocked all of those out and mm-hmm. has caused like an apocalyptic scenario to mm-hmm. to you know <laughs> occur. Quite literally, right? We see at the end of this the kind of uh, uh, beginnings of the post-apocalyptic Earth plot line that mm-hmm. we know from the very beginning and so he's caused all of that to happen and then the response to it is like a thing that is not commensurate to the seriousness of that and it's a kind of deflationary move that, that's a word that you used last time to talk about the kind of trolls and how they kind of take the piss out of the the seriousness of the plot mm-hmm. that's what this feels like to me it feels like a deflationary move to be like hey yeah, there's all this like fantasy bullshit that is like really big, kind of epic, capital E epic, early 2000s storytelling. But let's not take it too seriously. The Con Air Bunny's here. <laughs> and it feels self-defeating. It feels like it's the kind of thing to be like, I uh, that that Hussy can't take the product seriously. Mm-hmm. That uh, like, it really feels like the beginning of, oh, well, you think the thing I make sucks? It doesn't suck. I made it bad on purpose. Like mm-hmm. th- that level of like internet production, it really made me upset. I was mm-hmm. like, why the hell? I I would be irate if mm-hmm. I had been reading this <laughs> in real time. <laughs> I would have been so goddamn angry. <laughs> I think that is totally fair and totally justified. Uh, I want to. I, I I sort of primed you for this, and I want to get this on air. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. I asked you to consider in in your reading, what is the thing that you think really like makes me start posting about Homestuck, right? That like brings me in and brings me on board because I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know, that's interesting to me. What do you think did it? Uh, And it just so happens that I have like a very clear memory of what it was. And also I've been able to verify it with the something awful thread because I'm there now. (laughs) Mm hmm. Um, I, I wrote down, or I had three kind of big, cause you, you asked me to mm-hmm. be on the lookout. So I had three things I thought it could be. Okay. And I tested the waters already with one. So I, at the beginning of the chapter, what we see are like the big chess pieces that are cloning and producing all the chess people. Yeah. We get that really, uh, uh, kind of, uh, scary look at what what Skya and Spurb, like what the whole game is up to, right? All of these huge cloning vats where chess people from both sides are being grown just to be sent off to the battlefield and die. Yeah, so I thought maybe that. But I sent you a screen cap of it and you didn't say immediately, oh, you got it. So I, I don't think it's that. Oh, I didn't know that's what you were doing. I thought you were just showing I, me well, things that you had oh, reactions to. Oh, no, I wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't tell you that on purpose. I was, I was uh-huh. uh, testing the waters a little bit here. Well, was it that? It was not that. Okay. I didn't think it was. I thought you would have reacted differently. Okay. So here's my other, here's my second option. The sweet bro and hella Jeffifier. <laughs> <laughs> no, although that is very good. Uh, just to briefly explain what Cameron is talking about. During Dave's uh, alchemy binge, he ends up uh, through, through a complicated series of uh, uh, steps, making a insta shot like Polaroid camera that makes a sweet bro and hella Jeff comic of anything he takes a picture of. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's extremely good. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that could have been it. The My last uh, thought 
was the long explanation of the how the medium works and like how the medium's relationship. This is on 1903, I think. Mm-hmm. But the long explanation of like the the medium's relationship to the real world and to everything outside of the medium, I guess. Mm-hmm. And maybe even internally to the medium because they're basically it's the point in the comic where uh, the trolls explain that time doesn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. causal chains exist, but there is no such thing as time, really, mm-hmm. in relationship between parallel realities. Was that the thing that got you talking? You're half right. Okay. You actually, you jumped ahead a step. Oh, yeah. I bet. Yeah. So you, you, when the, uh, the, when that was teased, you got involved and then it was confirmed, I guess, afterwards. Nope. Nope. You're very close, oh. though. Okay. All right. Well, all right. You tell me then. <laughs> it was the Con Air Flash. Oh God. <laughs> uh, precisely because. So this is this is the moment, right? Like I had to start posting because I was so thrilled with uh, John, uh, John being in the lab, getting the entire explanation that you just mentioned for how like time doesn't exist, so on and so forth. Um, and then being like, hold on a minute. Like I can react, I can reenact, uh, my fa- one of my favorite scenes from Con Air. And then we get this whole flash with an actual like vocal cover of how do I live with John just like handing out all of these bunnies. Um, and what really, uh, uh, made me happy about this um was just seeing what i've said in earlier episodes right uh, about hussy just going for the bit right like going in into like bizarre lengths to pay off a joke uh that is in and of itself not that funny to me but suddenly if like john egbert is the person who is i guess lip syncing this cover of how do i live uh while hanging out with muppet babies versions of himself and all of his friends like parents it's it's it was like sublime to me right how utterly stupid it could be and at the same time uh it's doing this in the middle of all of these massive fantasy revelations so uh what you we, what you recognize as kind of a self-defeating move within homestuck is in fact the thing that draws me in because i'm like i don't see it as self-defeating at this point what i'm thinking is like when does like what is happening right like what is trying to be done here by constantly uh juxtaposing different tones or sort of like different modes of storytelling and and um uh also at this point right i am now looking at the something awful thread and i am starting to see how this thing is acting on and being acted upon by its reader base by its fandom so one of the reasons i started reading the something awful thread um at all was because as I was reading uh, this particular act, I was like, man, things are things are happening. Uh, how is this happening with reader commands? Because I didn't know that reader commands had been shut out uh, and it felt like almost effortless suddenly how things were progressing. So I get into the thread and I find out reader commands are gone. Um, but the format of reader commands is still there. So this is uh you know, we're we're nearing the midpoint of 2010. Uh, I think my junior year of uh, college just ended. I'm getting ready to start my senior year. I'm doing like a summer research project that is intended to help me do my grad school applications for my literature programs. 
Uh, and I've mentioned on other shows, maybe this one, but in particular Game Study Study Buddies, uh, that one of the ways that I really get into literary theory is my interest in reader response criticism, uh, a, a, a theory or like school of criticism, a method that is constantly looking at the ways that texts are objects or machines that make space for reader input and reader imagination and in fact require that sort of thing in order to function at all. So I am just like suddenly fascinated by what is happening here, that this uh, story is no like it started out as something that literally made space for reader input um, is no longer quite doing that. But also, as I discover, is in that like Hussey is taking things that fans are saying uh, and just sort of filtering it back into the main story. And then the entire story itself is still being written uh, and in the pro written as if uh, the reader were giving active responses. And in that way is kind of like scripting the reader response in a way that I found utterly fascinating. And uh, that sort of layered on top of all of these weird bouncing uh, uh, modes or like the juxtapositions uh, is frankly, right. It's my catnip <laughs> uh, for 2010, mm -hmm. Michael. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think all of that is true. Yeah. I, I just can't. Or, like, I believe all of those things were exciting for 2010, Michael. I don't know. I mean, what do you... You probably just can't extract yourself from that position at this point now. Um, I mean, I can, right? Like, in the sense that... Uh, these are like I, I lock on to questions here that I am still working through in talking about this comic with you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and sort of looking back. Right. I can I can extract myself pretty easily in the sense that like uh, I was 100 percent like uh, eight, like angling toward kind of my own anti aesthetic turn here. Uh, like, you know, this, this is a thing that is silly and goofy and like bad, but that's like the point, right? I'm still, I, I'm sort of starting to get into that idea of things, although it's not like a big face for me and I'm not like producing a bunch of art, but like, you know, th this is a thing that still works for me. Uh, it's a thing that is funny because in retrospect, it does feel so like incredibly normy um to, to use a word that i don't think is inaccurate but like one of the things that strikes me upon this reread is like uh this you know if this were a few years later uh, i think um it's like this would be like front page of reddit stuff right this web comic reenacted a scene from con air ironically mm -hmm. right um and so that's what is that's something that is amusing to me to, to sort of like look back on and see, uh, because I am just starting to think through like what what is this relationship between sincerity and irony? I think the other thing probably to bring up uh, at this point, right, is that this is when I start reading all of like the the new sincerity literature, um, right, uh, which I'm not really a big fan of, but I'm reading it nonetheless. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, th there's in some ways, right, Homestuck is suspended in the same aquarium where I am sort of swimming around. And so making these connections between these things is just kind of like, yeah, this is a thing that I'm interested in, like, and I'm interested in all these things for all these different ways. Looking back on it, it's like, yeah, no, that was definitely me when I was, I don't know, not yet in grad school and uh, uh, developing sort of certain habits or perspective. Like I was uh, being shaken up, I guess. I I'll talk more about this at the end of the episode, I think, um, 
when there's another better reason for it. I was a very different person in 2010 than Mm -hmm. I am now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was in the process in 2010 of becoming a very different person than I had been uh, up until about 2009. Mm. Mm. You uh, loved Con Air. Now (laughs) now you have to turn your back on Con Air. Yeah, no, I had to like uh, I had to I, I was John Egbert and I had to become a Dave. Wow. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. No, not really. No. Um, Proud John. You had to become a rose. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of big stuff happens here. I don't know what or should we just talk about? It? Oh, well, maybe I'll say this. Mm-hmm. Really cool to get the the um, well, something interesting goes on in the I think it's at the um, the flash that occurs in this reading where we get the Every time something is prototyped, mm-hmm. uh, Skya is is dimensionalized even more. Yes, which doesn't make any sense, by the way. Just FYI, if anyone understands how like these things work, right? <laughs> like, like it begins. Two of them produce a uh, cube, mm-hmm. which is a three dimensional object, and then three of them produce a um a sphere uh-huh. <laughs> which doesn't there, there, there's no line of like logic external to homestuck that would produce any of this wait but, till you see what happens when there are four <laughs> lord in heaven um <laughs> it's gonna turn into a mobius strip is that it is that what it does big donut <laughs> great great uh, but, uh, but that, that's really cool how we get that. And then we get a lot of what I would call high effort paintings of like a chess war universe, mm-hmm. uh, where all kinds of weird stuff happens here. Right. So like the, the Kings, the white King and the black King are fighting here and they are just annihilated mm-hmm. by Jack Noir. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why this happens. Why is he able to just whip everyone's ass so sufficiently and efficiently? Uh, because he has the queen's powers, the most. Yeah, but why? Why is she so good and everyone else is not as good? Have you ever played chess? Yeah, I have played chess, but there's not. You can defeat a queen with like a bunch of other units. Mm-hmm. She just can't unilaterally <laughs> annihilate <laughs> all of them. Uh, I, I mean, yes, you are correct. Right? This this uh, simultaneously makes some sense and also no sense. <laughs> yeah yeah that's why if it were just kings hanging out by themselves i might buy that line of logic right but there's like all their other units are just hanging around mm-hmm. uh yeah the the uh sort of implication right i think is that the queen is just a an unholy nightmare of powers uh and hussy talks about some of this this is if you want uh more sort of information about the game and how it's like structured kind of ideally right like what would a play session that is not totally going off the rails maybe look like you can get the print comics and uh read hussey's commentary because a lot of it is just this which is not stuff that i'm terribly interested in but is very useful if you're the sort of person who uh is very common by this point historically how do i how do i make a tabletop version of this to play with my friends Mm-hmm. Oh God! Why? I look. I if you've done this, uh, shout out to you. I, this is not a criticism of you, but I, I would I would never be able to get into a headspace where that made sense to me. <laughs> like to take this grossly complicated, um, flying by the seat of your pants <laughs> narrative, and being like, "All right, let's turn this into a tabletop game with a bunch of really constricting rules." <laughs> that seems hard. 
Yeah, but people want it. And so uh, Hussey explains how uh, sort of generally speaking, it seems like uh, the queen is extremely powerful, but is always distant from the player's uh, generally speaking, uh, the queen stays on uh, the respective moon of their side, either Prospet or Purpo, um, mm-hmm. whereas the king is leading the forces on the battlefield. And so uh, the the point of the game, or and we get some of this from CG later on, CG explains that it's the black king who is the final boss of the game sort of entirely. And, and you're right that... Uh, uh, Things have gone dreadfully wrong. Uh, CG explains that they had weeks uh, or or a, a good amount of time, basically, to play through their game before the Black Queen or the Black King defeated uh, the White King, took his scepter and initiated the end game. Uh, Jack just flies in, kills both of the kings and then takes the scepter and initiates the end game like, you know, less than 24 hours after the game has started or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um. So the idea, I think, uh, uh, is that uh, the queen is very powerful, but distant generally from the players uh, can be dealt with kind of indirectly in other ways. One of the things that CG also tells us is that in their game session, uh, the trolls game session, uh, they used Jack Noir as part of a plot to get the queen exiled. So they didn't have to deal with her at all. And then they just had to fight the Black King at the end of their game session. Uh, on the battlefield. So, uh, you know, I think some of uh, how we're supposed to understand what's happening with Jack specifically is that he is a game construct who has like certain tendencies. Uh, So those tendencies are like basically constant betrayal and murder uh, and uh, nevertheless, right, uh, uh, or sort of like a tendency toward destruction, right? So he initiates the reckoning because, you know, that's what Jack Moore does is he if he can, right, he kills a thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah. But. And some of this, I should say, also, I think is sort of implied by uh, the big lore dump that we got from Nana Sprite back in Act 3, where basically mm-hmm. the, the Dark Kingdom is the kingdom of destruction and the White Kingdom is the kingdom of creation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, real, I mean, again, right, but, you know, not to uh, harp on this, but children's literature, right, is really is the commanding force, I think, behind so much of this. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, Jack Noir is like murdering all these dudes, he's like stealing their jewelry. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is also additionally like a force of unaligned (laughs) chessmen, right? Mm hmm. Well, I mean, they, they're they're fighting on their respective sides, and then we have WV as the war weary Villain, uh, mm. uniting them against uh, the Black King. Mm-hmm. And so, so uh, you know, to to think about the end of this, right? Can can you run us through who becomes who in the post apocalyptic landscape? Okay, so the war weary Villain uh, mm-hmm. becomes the wayward vagabond. Mm-hmm. who's just and and he's just some guy mm-hmm. like in the battlefield right right he's uh, uh i think at some point later on in the comic this is like fine small details uh, i think it's mm-hmm. implied that he's like a soldier who defects uh got it and so yeah that is that is who he is um he's like a, he's running his little farm uh gets angry at the battlefield uh constantly being on fire or like the battle raging on right he wants to end the war and he does this by trying to uh, abolish the monarchy mm-hmm uh, 
PM, uh, or the, the parcel mistress, becomes the peregrine mendicant. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, uh, after she delivers the box to John. Yes. Some other stuff Got seems it. to maybe happen, but yeah, like uh, this is the point where a lot of these characters, uh, we, we get little brief uh, glimpses of them on post-apocalyptic Earth just after they've left the game session. Mm-hmm. Um, the authority regulator uh, becomes the aimless renegade. OK. Oh, OK. Uh, so, yeah, the one who's always giving parking tickets becomes the one who's mm-hmm. hanging out in the frog temple. Yep. Uh, the white queen becomes the windswept questant. Yeah. OK. The most thin of all of these mm-hmm. as far as characterization is concerned. Right. Um, so, I mean, that that's that's who becomes who. Mm-hmm. Now, how do these? Uh, so you just said I was very confused by this while reading it. How are they exiting the game session? Uh, presumably, and I, I can say this presumably because it's going to be confirmed as fact. Uh, Got the same way the meteors are. So pooping out of those portals. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. But we don't see that happen. Do we see that happen? We have not seen it happen yet. Okay, yeah, because we see the weird thing. Uh, I, that's why I was confused, because we see them like basically putting on the vestments that they are going to be taking later on or mm-hmm. earlier on, later in their timeline and earlier in our serial reading of the the events. Um, but I didn't see them like beeping out into the wasteland or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we like yeah. quite crucially, okay. we have not seen how uh, WV comes into possession of the Queen's ring. Got it. Right. I didn't think so. I didn't think we knew about that. Right. So uh, this is a thing where we know that John has it now uh, in the future. WV has it. So at some point that's going to change hands and we have yet to see how that happens. Mm-hmm. Neat. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Um, yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, just, what about, I love what about stuff. all them babies? I love what about all them babies? I love the babies. Uh, I hate the babies. <laughs> as soon as this started happening, I was like, good God. <laughs> like, we're in for it. Like, if I thought there was a bunch of, like, weird mix around horse shit going on before, mm-hmm. <laughs> God, there's going to be a lot now. But I, I actually do like how much we get of mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Was, that's pretty good. I like dad using his fetch modus of wallet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh, good. He's good. He's great. Still good. Still doesn't care for clowns. Has no opinions about clowns mm-hmm. or harlequins, as it were. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. Tell me about what's going on with them babies. Well, uh, one thing to just mention about the babies very briefly is that they are constantly referred to as little pink monkeys, which stands Why? in stark contrast to Hussey's uh, not entirely, it seems, serious claim previous episode that I read from the forum spring that the kids are a racial. Uh, because to assume that a baby is going to have pink skin is, uh, let's say, loaded. Hmm, interesting. Right? Okay. Um, we'll, we'll get to see sort of the consequences of some of this again later on. This is this is perfect homestuck. I get to tell you that I'm not going to tell you something now because I'm going to tell you about it later. Great. Um, uh, or maybe you won't. Maybe I won't. That's the, that's the even better homestuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never comes up again. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Just roll with it. Uh. So all these babies come to exist uh, and we get a, a creator paradox. Exactly what we talked about, I think, in the uh, 
intermission episode or was it the first mm-hmm. episode of this episode <laughs> i don't know somewhere yeah we've uh, we talked about bootstrapping somewhere <laughs> yes uh we've talked about creator paradoxes before right the, the it's a classic sci-fi uh trope where uh you you're doing time travel and you travel into the past and you think you've interfered with the timeline but in fact all you have done is contribute to the conditions of your own emergence uh, which is what is happening here with John and all these kids, right? The the game uh, just strangles every single free aspect of your life by having revealed itself to have always been in the background of what you were doing the entire time. Uh, you thought that you were just some normal kid on Earth who got sent to a fantasy world. Actually, you're a kid from the fantasy world who got sent to Earth, grew up on Earth, and now uh, is being forced back into the fantasy world in order to make yourself exist. This is another thing that makes me very interested in Homestuck and where Homestuck is going, because this is not so much, at least from my perspective at this point, not so much a simple like creator paradox story. What seems to be happening, and this is uh, a read shared by other people uh, than me at this time. Uh, is that it starts with the creator paradox and then due to like the stupid logic of this horrifying game, the kids have somehow sequence broken it. And so the question then for me uh, uh, in terms of like what is what is keeping me interested in like big plotty lore questions or whatever is like, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do with this? Right. What is a story about a creator paradox that then gets sequence broken uh, with video game logic? Like, what is the fallout of that? What comes of that? Is this just going to be a normal story about like, oh, these Mm -hmm. kids like used the sequence break to free themselves um, or is something else going to happen? Right. I am, I am interested in this in kind of like a big picture question kind of way. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's interesting. Cause I, like, I trust you on that. Mm-hmm. And I think this is partially being informed by what you know, mm-hmm. but from where I am in the comic right now, they actually really, they have, they have sequence broken, obviously, mm-hmm. right, by in a lot of different ways. But the out, due to the explanation of how the game works and how the median operates, that doesn't really matter because all the sequence breaking is happening within the, the construct of the game. And because the medium interacts with Earth's timeline uh, non-causally, right, mm-hmm. it can... It can poke in anywhere it wants to doesn't matter how much you sequence break as long as the children are inserted into the timeline Mm -hmm. at any point then that doesn't matter so i'm assuming that that you're right and that these things uh um you know bear fruit this this question of what does it mean to break the thing that determines all of existence i'm sure that that will matter at some point Mm -hmm. um but as as far as where i am in the thing and the explanations that have been produced you know for me as a first-time reader here it's uh complicated but it is causally sound mm-hmm. um as far as like how they have produced themselves and how they produce their own parents mm-hmm. <laughs> in the timeline um i it, it's really funny to me why the parents have to be produced mm-hmm. because otherwise the children being produced wouldn't make any sense right <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can see hussy like <laughs> like thinking their way backward right <laughs> like all right well let's have them like create themselves easy wait a minute they were raised by these different parents who definitely you know they could have discovered that they were you know <laughs> comet babies at mm-hmm. one point mm-hmm. how, how do i resolve that oh, okay i'll just do it to the parents too <laughs> yes <laughs> they won't think that's weird uh i mean i can i will say also right i i laid out to you what historical michael's interest was like what my questions mm-hmm. were 
the answers mm. that I get to kind of these questions, I mean, also, like, I see the exact same thing that you're seeing, which is that all of this seem all of this seems pretty deadlocked. Um, and my mm. question, I guess, is more to the effect of something like, is there going to be an effect, right? What is the, like, where do you go from here? Like, what if you have all of these events that are like, uh, for predestined ordained to happen, um, but also th something has gone wrong, right? The trolls are constantly saying you, you fucked this up and like somehow, right. The kids have done something that is affecting other game sessions. Cause that is something that, uh, uh, CG makes very clear that like whatever happened in their game or like something has happened in the kids game that is now affecting, uh, the trolls, like, what does that mean? What's going on? Uh, the questions that I get to the or the answers that I get to the questions that I have, I will say, are not necessarily satisfying. Hmm. Mm -hmm. If we're going to look at like Homestuck long term, that said, I stick with this and I am not, I guess, uh, maybe unhappy with the answers that I do get even if they are not satisfying in the way that Michael in early summer of 2010 wanted them to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the part of it too, is that there's no, it, it's the lost problem, mm -hmm. right? Which is like, you create a little clockwork world with a bunch of rules and a bunch of, of kind of spurs that stick out from those rules. And then as the clockwork is kind of spinning around, those spurs get stuck on one another mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have to find ways to like file them down. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately means that the final product, even if it is fully coherent and sound, it has to necessarily have knocked off a bunch of the most interesting things because they can't all be true. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a way to do anything like this that is not disappointing, mm -hmm. um, in some form or fashion. Um, I think it's the nature of like highly networked, highly complicated works. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm not shocked to hear that. I would be shocked to hear that it all pays off and it's all awesome <laughs> all the way through. Right. That would be, I would be like, holy shit. Um, you know, the other thing that you and I talked about, uh, beforehand is that, uh, what, uh, we've already talked about Westworld one time. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Westworld two times. Uh, <laughs> if you hear me talk about Westworld once, you did great. If you hear me talk about Westworld a second time, <laughs> you did bad. Uh, the, uh, but no, uh, we talked about Westworld in the last recording, but uh, something that's very Westworldy to me here is, is the use of the kind of formal mechanisms of the gutter. You know, we've already mm -hmm. talked about the gutter and the, the idea that when you, once you go into the gutter, you don't know what's on the other side, right? So, any moment that you're clicking from one image to the next, there's the possibility of anything occurring. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of, you know, at the heart of what Homestuck work, what makes Homestuck work on a kind of formal level and a lot of comics work in a general sense. But the other thing that's interesting about it is that, uh, and, you know, slight apologies for the, you know, skip forward five minutes. If you don't want to hear spoilers about Westworld season one or spoilers about the film arrival, <laughs> but what both of those did or you know, do as works is that they take the basic language of the medium of film, and then they say that uh, they, they they disconnect from time. Mm -hmm. You know, normally we look at cuts and we think that a cut, even uh, between characters, is probably going to take place within the same time. Mm -hmm. And both Westworld and um, Arrival kind of radicalize that by saying that a, a cut 
uh, has no, if you remove it from any kind of causal relation, any kind of continuity, it will still function. Like the cut still works and it still feels like you're moving from place to place or character to character or whatever, but you can use that to then do all kinds of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and that, you know, you can go all the way back to like La Jete to see a version <laughs> of that, right? This is not a new thing, but it is fairly new for it to be a popular and kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, but, you know, critical part of like the discourse mm-hmm. um, that that the very use of the cut that our uh, continuity editing kind of classic Hollywood uh, 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 editing techniques that those can be ungrounded in very specific ways and used for commercial projects. That, that's kind of the big radicalization. And that's what's re- what I think really kind of kicks into high gear here at, at the end of Act 4 is that uh, Hussey is also discovering that. Mm-hmm. That, like, time can be... Even though we... Because, I mean, think about the cuts back and forth in time here compared to the cuts back and forth way earlier. You know, we're not really getting, uh, you know... Um, the what what's the exact phrase like a little a little further ahead but not that far ahead oh yeah or yeah years in the future but not many or whatever right like those kind of uh useful um intertitles mm-hmm. to be like hey here's the thing those are very rarely being used at this point and we are cutting back and forth uh radically across time and space i mean think about the the thing that we were talking about in the last recording, right, of cutting so far in the future for Dave without any kind of, um, you know, uh, maneuvering in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Hussey is kind of discovering, I, I think, a, a commercial capability for a more radical use of editing and a more radical way of putting time and space together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really interesting, and I don't know where that's going to go, but... You know, if the project of the show is Homestuck made this world, uh, it's Homestuck primed a fan base for thinking about these kinds of issues, mm-hmm. uh, because that's absolutely you know that that was a prominent fan theory that was kind of propped up in Westworld that ultimately ended up being true. I mean, I saw that halfway through that season, uh, people were talking about it. Uh, the idea that the different characters are taking place in different time periods in the same location, and because of the constantly repeating game space. Huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The constantly repeating game space of Westworld, uh, you can make those things feel like they're saying they're they're all um uh in the same causal, I guess, you know, timeline. Or I guess they're all in the same causal timeline, but they're they're they are cohabiting the same moments mm-hmm. uh, rather than being spaced out over the course of fifty years or whatever. But uh but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of homestuck in Westworld. Um it kind of made this world, I think, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> the the Nolan, uh Jonathan Nolan absolutely is right homestuck. I I I hope so. Jonathan, if you're it listening, you, are you listening to us, Jonathan? Are you out there? This is me doing reader response. Jonathan Nolan, <laughs> come in, come in, come guest. Yeah, this is the reader response. It's when you ask readers what they're <laughs> to respond to you. But no, I mean, it's the kind of thing where like Jonathan Nolan, it, his entire career is just pulling a hussy. Mm-hmm. It is it is uh, taking big uh, science fiction concepts that are probably not super, uh, you know, uh, present for a mass audience, making them digestible for a mass audience, piling complications on top of them and then resolving them. Mm hmm. That's everything that Jonathan Nolan has ever worked on. It, it is formulaic mm-hmm. to a point. And I don't even mean that as a criticism. It's just a statement. Um, and uh, I, I think it is interesting to me that uh, someone who is doing the exact same thing that Hussey does in Homestuck 
went on to become one of the most prominent filmmakers or, or writer, writer showrunners, I guess. You know, Jonathan Nolan's got a little bit of a different career than his brother, but writers certainly mm-hmm. uh, in mass entertainment. I mean, this is this is him doing the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Some other things to then talk through about these babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I meant tell me more about the babies. Mike. Yeah, well, actually, uh I'm going to say that we're going to we're going to return to this issue of the babies and I'm going to mm-hmm. uh, do my own hussy and jump backward in time or rather jump to a Great. completely different topic and we'll work our way back around to this. Okay. So one of the things that is really interesting to notice about the something awful thread during the last set of pages and especially this set, um, I mentioned last episode that uh, there there are kind of two not not two wholly separate versions of the fandom, but like two maybe tendencies we can think of within the fandom, right? One that is talking about like fanfic, uh, character relationships, doing romantic art and things like that, and then uh, fans who are more interested in parsing out like game rules, game logic, solving puzzles, speculating on that sort of thing. Um, something awful, unsurprisingly, uh, if you know anything about something awful culturally is much more in the latter camp than in the former, uh, romantic art, fanfic, that's all silly stuff. Uh, who on earth would care about that sort of thing? However, in the thread now, we are getting regular reports of people who are going through the fan art threads on the official forums and bringing over, you know, quote unquote, the good shit. Um, like the, the fan art that is like particular, like that these people happen to find particularly good. Uh, what we are seeing in other words is kind of, um, exactly what I said, right? That these two aspects of the fandom are not really separate. Uh, they are, they are tendencies that maybe seem to pull against each other, uh, but you can move in one direction or the other. Uh, now they're not posting like cool, uh, uh, romantic art. At least not yet, I guess. Uh, but they are posting art that they just think it is particularly good. Um, let me see if there's some that I want to show you here, Cameron. I'm just going to drop this in. the Actually, Yes, no, I want to show you this one uh, because I, I very much love it. This is some fan art of, of Casey holding the, the Conair bunny. I'm, I'm navigating to the... Uh-huh. Yep. It's good little and then here's one of uh Rose fighting uh an ogre, right? What's, what the fuck? Yes. So this is uh I, I'm sorry that these people aren't like naming artists or anything, but this is a a very like uh sort of watercolored uh elaborate uh shot of like a, a little rose like fighting one of the ogres, which is a thing that we see in the comic itself. Um but like the point that I want to make about both of these pieces of fan art is that like they're real good in like a technical sense, like they're not at all in the yeah. comic style, uh, but it shows one of the strengths of Homestuck is what we told what we've called the iconicity of the characters, um, mm-hmm. how simplistic they can look when they're in their little sprite modes uh, that can uh, abstract out into different people's art styles uh, you get like a template of a character that can not only be customized within the language of the templates of the comic but that can be expanded outward so that each particular artist can take their own style and like reproduce elements of the character to successfully reproduce kind of their visual look so in the case of rose here right um sort of uh her hair and uh her clothing mm-hmm 
So people in the something awful thread are like pulling in, you know, fan art and like, yeah, this is real good fan art. Like, thank you for bringing in all this cool fan art that uh, <laughs> uh, several months ago I might have been like, you know, who cares about fan art? Mm -hmm. um, so this is all kind of happening. Um, then the other thing then about the babies. Uh, there is a uh, not just, you know, romantic art being made where people are shipping characters. Uh, you know, putting them in relationships with one another. Uh, there is uh, fanfic being written on this point, and there are, as as happens in any fandom, popular pairings. So a popular pairing, uh, for example, here is uh, Snowman and Spade Slick, right? This is this is kind of popular from the jump because, as I mentioned in the intermission episode, they these are characters who come in already with a dynamic, right? The other kind mm -hmm. of popular ships that come up are with the kids specifically. And, and I, you know, I don't have like statistics to point to here, but two very popular ships are John and Jade and Rose and Dave. Who are now we may understand brother and sister. Yeah, so the goop, mm -hmm. the, the paradox goop. Mm hmm. Uh, which we saw, what, with WV was messing with Paradox Goop? No, no, no. Well, yes, yes. WV was the first person who showed us Paradox mm -hmm. Goop by trying to uh, uh, purify a pumpkin that was already locked mm -hmm. in a time loop. Yeah, right. So so we already know where Goop comes from. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so they are combinations of the same DNA. So they're not biological. I mean, no, they are only biological relatives. They are not cultural relatives. Interestingly enough, yes. So, uh huh. So, yeah. So, what are, what are people doing with that? Um, it's chaos, really, right? Because people like Rose and Dave, and and to be clear, too, right? It feels like Rose and Dave is like a thing mm -hmm. that feels like a pairing. And there's a in the yeah in, in the fiction, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's an implication in the uh uh dead timeline right and and hussy for what it's worth confirms this in the uh author commentary and by confirms here right i mean does a jk rowling thing where it's just like yep that's a thing that happened um that they like tried to see like are are we going to work together romantically and then it fizzles out so mm -hmm. all of this gets recontextualized all of this fan work gets recontextualized uh within the sudden canon development that two very popular pairings are incest yeah so yeah this this happens uh in the in in the story but also in the fandom uh and the i i again i cannot get back to the the original forums or if i could if these are there they're like buried so deep that i would have to dig in a much more complex fashion um to, to really discover these posts it's not good. It's not pretty, right? Uh, there is, of course, right? This is this is like a normal normal uh, forum for the time. So there are like warnings in the Ramart thread uh, against things like, you know, uh, really messed up uh, uh, ships or like incest pairings, right? Or pedophilia and things like that. And mm -hmm. suddenly, retroactively, a huge amount of fan production has become incest. Oh. Dang, I didn't think about that. Yes. Oh my God! So the hussy's uh, the call is coming from inside the house. Uh -huh. <laughs> like literally, the the real world timeline is being warped backwards. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh no! 
really turns you into like a structural anthropologist on this one to being like, all right, well, where does the incest taboo emerge from? Is it from biology or is it from the family unit? What is a family unit? <laughs> like what constitutes that? Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what's also, I mean, stepping aside for a moment, what's also very funny is like John having reactions to all of this stuff in comic and carcinogeneticist being like, uh, who the fuck cares because they're <laughs> aliens and they have some sort of other family structure that clearly does not have like the same sort of like apprehensions. Yeah, they're like, our families are already way more complicated than this. We don't we don't have these issues. Yeah, this was not a problem. And I think they also say, don't they say that some of them are from different timelines or something? Uh, some some implications. Yes. OK, mm -hmm. OK. Um, anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You were you were talking about this uh, nuclear fallout uh -huh. that occurred. Uh, so. Uh, what happens uh, then? So we then we have uh, this is a this is a post from the official forums that gets quoted into uh, the, the SA forums. Uh, this is someone responding to to all of these developments. But seriously, I'm a Dave Jade shipper. And even though my ship is safe, I really don't know yet. Andrew hasn't directly revealed anything. I feel incredibly bad for all the people who shipped what might now be labeled incest pairings. I know that if it turns out all the kids are related and my ship isn't safe anymore, I would be absolutely devastated. A lot of love and care and creative energy went into the stuff here. And for people to not be able to do that anymore for the pairings they enjoy is heartbreaking. This shit ain't funny. It's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The something awful forum thread thinks this is hysterical. Again, as you might expect, uh, uh, with their kind of opinion, I, I've mentioned, right, we, we can see this kind of shift happening with like cool fan art. Um, but also, uh, like, they're still going to be like, oh, romantic art or, you know, like, oh, all these people just like want to write fanfic about these kids kissing, blah, 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 like grumbling about that. Um, so this is just this is the funniest thing in the world, right? Uh, having a field day with it. And then to reveal something that I hinted at earlier, I think this is the funniest thing in the world. I love this. 2010 Michael is living for it. Uh, and I think this is probably where I should uh, provide, not to make this like Michael reflects on his life hour, right? But to provide a little bit more uh -oh. context because everything that I am saying about Homestuck is being spoken by me and I come from a context and from a place. Mm -hmm. um, 2010 Michael at about this point and for a long time before then thought fandom was the stupidest thing in the world like making fan art and writing fanfic was uh just i could not understand why anyone would devote their time to doing these things and if anyone did those things i thought that they were you know ipso facto a loser of some kind like why on mm -hmm. earth would you spend your time thinking about other people's characters from other people's stories when you could be uh making your own stuff was kind of like michael's opinion so uh, seeing this play out, right, seeing uh, what seems to be Hussey kind of deliberately sabotaging two popular ships is incredible to me because it's like the exact sort of thing I would want to do if I were in charge of an Internet fandom, right? Pull in all these people who have all of these sorts of like little like, oh, I'm going to make this cute fan art and blah, 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 and then find a way to like twist it back around on them in, you know, the the meanest, not the meanest way possible, I guess, but like an extremely mean and gross way. 
I, it's pretty mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, I, if uh, if people have invested yeah. like a year of their life really getting emotionally attached to this thing, and you're like, it's bad. And not only is it bad, it's incest, mm-hmm. the primary taboo within our culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think that's pretty. You know, it's not just that they're like mean to each other or something, mm-hmm. uh, which would be the much more measured response, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, um, they do something to betray one another, and now like Rose and Dave because Dave like. You know, I can spin up my evil version of this, right? Or, you know, not not the version that Hussey goes with, but it's like um, Dave leaves Rose in the future timeline. Rose uh, finds a way to preserve herself, but has to live for 2,000 years in a black void. And now she hates Dave. Mm-hmm. The end. Right. Like, I just, I just accomplished a really cruel thing to the fan, you know, the shippers or whatever. But, uh, but it's not the level of atomic uh, maneuver that, that has occurred here, right? Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, sorry. Sorry, sorry to interrupt uh, past Michael. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I think that's fine, right? I think it's good to, to pull in uh, these other sort of, I guess, hypotheticals. Because, yeah, it is really mean. Like, uh, past Michael thinks this is hilarious, thinks fandom is extremely stupid. Without this, I do not continue reading Homestuck. Or, I, you know, maybe I do, but I do not get pulled into Homestuck if I don't get this little glimpse of this vast fictional world that all these people are invested in and uh, just ruin everyone's day for it. Because that mm-hmm. seems like so much fun to me, right? This desire to, like, uh, like take all these fandom people and really show them what's what. Uh, the other thing I guess to say about historical Michael, uh, is you might think, wow, Michael has a a, a lot of opinions on fandom for someone who seems to hate fandom. Uh, I am luckily, right. Contemporary parlance has given us a term for this. I was an anti-fan, uh, right. Uh, ask any of my friends from this time period, what I'm up to. And I am reading so much live journal, uh, figuring out like, you know, because this is just after. So the other thing about shipping here that we need to observe is that this is after, uh, kind of the there's there's big shipping wars within the harry potter community right people who think that these two characters uh or this pairing is superior to this other pairing and if you think that this if you think that this pairing is better to this pairing then that's some sort of personal flaw to you blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this uh if you uh if you're younger you might be familiar with uh Raylos uh-huh. and, and their shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. And I guess there's other opinions or something about about uh, a Star War. I'm not plugged into any of this enough uh, enough to uh, pull a bunch of pairings out of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Raylo is I think maybe the good big recent touch point for this. Uh, the other big ones that I think inform how Homestuck is operating. Uh, Post Harry Potter, we have Twilight, right? Team Edward, Team Jacob. Mm. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, we also have uh, Avatar, the last airbender. Who is who is uh, Katara going to end up with? Is it going to be Aang or is it going to be Zuko? And these are legendary arguments in in fan communities, sort of like just before the, the, the big really kind of switched Tumblr. Um, so I can't be- I can't believe the Hunger Games isn't in here for you. I can't believe you're so, not wondering if Katniss is going to end up with little square baker boy or <laughs> the other guy. Well, and that's the thing about the Hunger Games to me specifically, right, is that 
Uh, the Hunger Games feels so, so clearly like just a retread of Edward and Jacob with no escalation, no sort of like uh, change to it. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's definitely there. Absolutely. Right. Um, so this is like the, the kind of shipping community that Andrew Hussey is releasing this uh revelation about the true nature of these pairings into uh and again like i'm reading all these live journals like keeping up on like oh which which uh big name fan for this uh community is fighting with uh the other big name fan over their shipping preferences isn't it isn't it so stupid cameron how all these people <laughs> on the other side of my computer screen are much less cool than i am mm-hmm and thank God I know all of their moves. Yeah. Thank God I know everything about what they do. <laughs> right. Um, so. So I know. So I have informed opinions about how dumb they are. Yeah. 2010, Michael, you were a little clown. You were a little harlequin mm -hmm. bouncing around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you goof. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, clacking my mandibles uh, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So, yeah, this is this is a thing that brings me into Homestuck even more because I have kind of this meta interest in fandom. Um, and as I already said, I'm also at a point in my life where I am shifting because I'm getting ready to go to grad school and I'm kind of laying off the the gas in terms of like uh, disliking fandom. Um, and this is also evidenced in what happens with some things in the, in this act. Uh, did you notice any differences in the art styles in the, the end of act flash descend? Uh, in the very end, I mean, I know it's kind of at the end of act four here, there's a lot of, uh, I would, like I said, like effort art, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, more complicated art, mm -hmm. I would say maybe hussy didn't do it is that maybe what you're asserting yeah so starting with uh the flash where wv tries to rise up against the king uh wv ascend mm -hmm. um or no mm -hmm. it's wv rise up and then also sort of the the big thing that happens is in descend uh we get an art team so fan artists mm. uh on the forums in the same way that we have like you know the 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 music team we get the formation of an art team people who make assets uh how this works this process is that hussy basically drops into the secret art forum is like hey uh i want a i want uh, an asset that looks like this right rose doing something and then sort of kind of describing the thing uh people make it uh hussy takes what they like uh customizes it in photoshop for their purposes and then puts that into uh the uh flash so uh i think 12 people in total work on the art for s descend um and that's including hussy so we you'll notice right cameron we have a replication of what uh, of a tendency you earlier called self-defeating uh on the mm -hmm. and this is also fascinating to me when i figure it out because i'm like oh crap i've never seen a work interact with its fandom like this before taking creations from fan artists uh pulling them into the main story using them to kind of like expand its its aesthetic modes again uh we get you know like this sort of um very much more like uh proportionally like anthropomorphic version of jade for instance in s descend where she's like lying in her bed sleeping yeah. um uh i thought that was weird yeah Right. Like suddenly all of these different art styles start showing up and it's like, wait, what the hell is this? And I remember before I figured out that there were fan artists being pulled in, I was like, 
is Hussey just like trying to like do new art styles uh, like just for the hell of it? But no, it's other. Yeah, that's why that's what I assumed. Yeah. I was like, oh, OK, because yeah. well, we've seen hints of this kind of capability before. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, OK, I guess. Yeah. But, but no. yeah, but not not entirely, at least there are definitely like various uh, hussy modalities that we'll see and are, are starting to see. But then we are seeing like certain fan art aesthetics start to be pulled in, um, which, uh, again, right, contributes to the closeness that the readership and the fan base is going to feel for the object. At the same time, the object at any moment might spring something on them that proves that all of your fan art and your fanfic was for naught because I've I've uh, rendered a pairing toxic and just to make clear i think how how active this is after the chat log where carcinogeneticist explains to john that all of these kids are brother and sister now that's when we cut to mom and dad on the battleship that uh grandpa harley is is piloting for whatever reason and mom and dad have kind of this thing going on where like clearly they're interested in one another like back in the past when dad saw mom he was like oh who's this mysterious woman and so they're finally reunited and the caption for that page is something like you know a a captain uh uh like pursues a ship that is long overdue or something so hussy torpedoes uh all of these fandom ships and then follows it up with a joke about you want a ship uh like here's a literal a literal ship and then on that ship we have mom and dad shacking up jesus christ that's true and obviously past michael is not the michael who's sitting here talking into a microphone about these things uh Mm -hmm. homestuck is an object that changes as it was made right and it changes as you read it and one of the reasons i wanted to make this show was to and you know wanted to do this kind of contextualization work was to underscore how um the things that have weight at the beginning of this story uh get swapped out by the narrative by choices hussy is making by sort of like tendencies within the fan community and how all of these things interact uh like the the reader base is constantly like being recomposed right like Mm -hmm. because of the way that the story works and the ways that the fans are interacting with the story or thinking about it and speculating on it um the the people who are reading homestuck are being changed at the same time the story is developing and changing itself and retroactively changing itself in these ways yeah i you know one one image that i I think of when it comes to this kind of stuff is it's a little bit like a hotel lobby Mm -hmm. right where like the fandom itself, there's always a stable number of people in the hotel lobby, mm-hmm. but it's not the same people, and they're not all there for the same reason, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I, I think that's something that, that's been really interesting, kind of getting feedback both on Twitter and on the Discord, is that a lot of people want to underscore and assert their way of interacting with Homestuck, both in positive and negative ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, there's still a whole lot of I love on the Twitter how much like performative hatred of Homestuck <laughs> we get tagged into when we talk about the performative hatred of Homestuck. There's something very funny about that to me. But the uh, the thing to remember is that, you know, when we and I was explaining this on the Discord too the other day that uh, when we talk about why people are engaged in Homestuck. There's not one way of engaging with Homestuck. There's like different stages and, and even different 
uh, modes of entry mm-hmm. into the thing. And people stick around for different reasons, right? Like it's very, as you were talking about before, it's very reasonable for someone to come in initially for like plot goofery reasons or whatever and stick around because they like thinking about what these characters might be doing in the fanfic. Mm-hmm. You know, some I can easily imagine at any point that we've been reading someone who comes in for some reason into the Homestuck universe um, becoming less interested in the mainline comic because it's already shifted a couple times in major ways and then just sticking around for people who are writing fanfic or making fan adventures in that previous mode. Mm-hmm. I have not uh, you know, scanned the data on this one, but I'm assuming that's happening regularly because uh, that's what happens in all of these kind of mass media properties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people <laughs> like people are making fanfic about like season four of Friends as if it never ended. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, people are still making like, you know, Seinfeld in 2021 <laughs> Twitter accounts, right? Yeah. Like, which is the same impulse. What if 1999 never ended? Mm-hmm. Um, and just we fed, uh, uh, you know, all of our culture into a machine generated in 1999. Um, so that's all to say, right, that I think that what you're gesturing at here too is that Homestuck changes the way that people engage with Homestuck changes and will continue to change. But even at the time there was kind of a tumultuous and constantly roiling uh, transformation within what the fan base and what individuals were interested in, in that fan base at any given moment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because like at this point, how many people are reading this comic? It's got to be in the hundreds of thousands, right? Uh, The website is still regularly crashing anytime there's a flash update. Gotcha. Like I, I don't have hard numbers, but like it, like the the server has been updated and everything still keeps crashing. Gotcha. So it is it is big. Um, and the thread, right? I mentioned that I, I did some numbers at the end of the intermission episode, and the thread was going to pick up exponentially. And I can already feel that happening. I am reading so many more posts per episode for recording here than I was before. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, the related point that I wanted to mention here, uh, the the updates where we find out that all of the kids are clones of themselves or rather their parents are clones of themselves and then they're like hybrids of their parents um, that day uh, had 26 updates. Jesus. Right. So uh, Homestuck is being produced rapidly. A lot of it. uh, Hussey is, again, putting in the work Uh, and some of that work is like really cool, like plot development things. And some of that work is like, for whatever reason, uh, cutting the legs out from under the shippers. Brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what about Colonel Sassaker getting murdered? So yeah, Colonel Sassaker turns out to be plot relevant. <laughs> um, way back in the second part of the first episode, let's just call it the second episode. Let's dispense with pretense. Um, we can't dispense. No, you've done this to us. We uh-huh. can't dispense with pretense. Right. I, I've you've, locked us you into You have it. done this. Yes, you have locked us into this. And you have, much like much like Andrew Hussey, you have to see this to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so way back in uh, uh, episode one, part two, uh, John comes downstairs. He's asked to inspect his grandmother's ashes. And it's like in, mentioned in a sort of like a brief throwaway gag that she probably Nana was probably killed in an accident with the Colonel Sassaker joke book. And you made some comment at the time about how like uh, how indicative this was of like the the greater expansive lore thinking of Homestuck, because this one little thing that we found in John's room suddenly has like 
a, a sort of historical weight to it, right? It's it's already like more relevant than it might have seemed at first and opens up kind of the floodgates for like anything that we see in these rooms might end up having more relevance or, or what have you. Anyhow, you made some comment ab about this, Cameron, and it was so hard for me not to just like uh, lose my mind at the, the second you did it. <laughs> Because, yeah, sure enough, uh, the Colonel Sassaker joke book um, not only is deeply plot relevant because it's another one of these objects that goes like the, the Con Air Bunnies is going through um, a silly time loop traveling between the medium and Earth at various points in history. Um, but it turns out that Nana was when when her meteor landed, she was found and adopted by Colonel Sassaker, who raised her until Grandpa landed and then killed Colonel Sassaker because he was a baby be wielding dual pistols yeah why was he wielding dual pistols just because he's a guy uh because they he was a baby and in the lab and he picked up a pair of pistols that presumably his older self left behind and then oh, got I sent see. back to earth with them he's just good at using pistols yes great but yeah so he uh straight up murders i i don't like any of this by the way i don't like <laughs> any of this colonel sassaker being like in john's family tree i don't like any of this uh uh, Betty Crocker horse shit, Crocker mm -hmm. shit, more like, you know, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, I don't like this because I don't understand. It, narratively, it doesn't make any sense because mm -hmm. John would know all of this. Mm -hmm. He would know that, Car that Colonel Sassaker is in his family tree and that Betty Crocker is his great grandmother. Um, in what universe would you not know that? You uh, would think at one point his dad would at least maybe have, have gestured at it. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, whatever. I'm sure there's some conspiracy crap that we're going to learn. That this is why this is the case or something. I'm sure there's going to be a big old info dump that some little gray kid's going to explain to me. But just pure uh, knee-jerk reaction there. Not what I was into. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, again, that fetch modus wallet really did make up for a lot of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um I think other than that, I think that's kind of it. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, Jack blows up Prospid at the end, huh? Yep. What's up with that? Well, what, 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 I guess what do you mean, what's up with it? Well, does, like, that, he mean does, it. That, what, does that mean that this is a null session? Like, is, this, is, is, is the session beefed? Like, truly beefed? Uh, well, it definitely seems like it. Okay. Uh, one thing that we do know also, because we learned this from uh, Adios Toreador, is that their prospect also got destroyed, and they don't seem to be in a great situation either. Mm. So, uh, so have the trolls, maybe I've misunderstood this, have they completed the game? Yes, uh, I assume, I'm going to assume this, Cameron, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I assume you skipped uh, the actual in-text recaps. No, I didn't. I read through them. Oh, you did? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. But so there's it, a lot there. So I, you know, uh -huh. I might have not. Oh, okay. my recall's probably not great because yeah. there are there are 5000 words long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they're they're extremely long. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I would not have blamed you if you skipped them um, because but they are weird, I guess I should talk mm -hmm. about these recaps just a little bit because mm -hmm. they're in they're in voice and they they have some retcon nature to them a little bit. Mm hmm. Exactly. The these these recaps uh, will make explicit things that are not explicit in the narrative itself or that will only become explicit through a character's words or deeds later. So, for example, uh, in the first no, is it the, the, the first recap, I think um, 
it is mentioned that the trolls have completed the game, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is in the second one. But at some point, it is one of the recaps makes it very clear that the trolls have completed mm-hmm. the game. Because um, I know they say that they have completed the game, but they're also the trolls. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that's the other thing that the recaps do is they sort of like will anchor uh, uh, mm-hmm. speculation in, in that regard. Uh, but there's one of the recaps that explains that uh, it is specifically like a uh, jack noir who has caused all of these problems but it is not actually said by one of the trolls until later on that jack noir is the thing that caused all of these problems so there are interesting Mm -hmm. things that happen where like the hussy character comes in and like makes clear plot elements that will not be made clear to the actual characters until later hmm yeah you should get rid of jack noir why is he why is he in the game seems seems really inconvenient uh and this is where actually to have uh to touch on a thing that we talked about in in uh last recording session uh we should talk about the bandicoots where cg tries to explain to john the difference between their jack noirs yeah he just says that there are multiple parallel game states mm-hmm. that are parallel we could i they don't use this word but parallel universes mm-hmm. that interact with the game and they all interact identically uh, but all the pieces can move differently. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. booting up two different versions of the same game, two different mm-hmm. versions of Crash Bandicoot. Um, and sometimes they can run into each other because clearly they can talk to each other. So there's something that organizes them all, uh, you know, uh, with each other. But uh, they're networked, I guess. But uh, yeah, it didn't seem that complicated to me. And by the time that we got there, that's what I was assuming was happening. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you had asked something about, you know, is well, I had asked you, actually, is the are the Black Queen and Snowman the same character? Yeah. And the answer is yes and no. Right. (laughs) Well, that was the thing is I'm not quite sure. It is unclear to me at this point, you know, is um, is the intermission game a prelude to everyone's Crash Bandicoot? Mm. You, you see what i'm saying that that was my mm-hmm, confusion it's mm-hmm. not like is the intermission its own complete side universe but it is it like the pre-medium or is it like the the pre-game the the you know the prologue to right. everyone's game does everyone get an intermission uh, right you know that shuffles oh, out okay. differently mm-hmm. you know so is uh, my question was kind of about like um the arrangement of the pieces in the game when the kids start the game essentially Right. Okay. I get I get where you were coming from now. Right. And this is this is part of the problem of this damn story is that when you already know the answer, uh, the the alternative possible explanations can become unthinkable because of the nature of this damn story. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of when I asked you the question, you were like, well, and I was like, okay, well, obviously that my my thought is wrong in the canon. But Mm -hmm. but yeah, that would that would, you know, it was just like, what are the preconditions for suburb working, I guess, is the thing. And uh, is it Jack Noir has to, co- or Spade Slick has to complete his story and then become Jack Noir in this new universe, or is that its, you know, its own Crash Bandicoot? Right. Um, and it seems like it's probably its own Crash Bandicoot. I don't really know. We'll see. Right, right. At, at present, it seems like uh, 
any any number of these like chess people characters could mm-hmm. become exiles on the originary planet for Spurb. And it just so happens in the Trolls game, it was Spade Slick or it was Jack Noir who took on the name Spade Slick once he arrived uh, at um, on whatever the Trolls planet was. Uh, and along with their Black Queen, who became Snowman, who is distinct from the Black Queen in the kids session, who is killed by their Jack Noir uh and becomes not spade slick but uh the sovereign slayer is how all the other uh chess people refer to him wow you were spoiling the hell out of this thing michael Mm -hmm. you just you just uh you just told me that the intermission is the trolls game you already know that i don't think i did you you can you can know it by like because uh spade slick was giving them commands he gave that little gray kid commands oh Right. So yeah, that, the, that was the, that, oh, but gave commands, but not just c- communicated with, but gave commands. I see. Mm-hmm. I get it. OK, well, that makes sense then. Yeah, he's like he's like this kid again. It's been a while. So mm-hmm. like the exiles in the kids game, they encountered each other in the medium and then somehow Spade Slick ended up on the trolls planet and then gave some more commands, presumably. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Right. That, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jade died. Yep, Jade, Jade died. Jade's prospect dream version died. Whatever the mm-hmm. hell that's called. Yep. The her kind of defining feature, right? The thing that gave her all of these uh uh access to all of these visions and so on and so forth, that's been obliterated. And so mm-hmm. we have like we had two jades, now we have one jade, and the other jade is falling from an explosion to the ground to uncertain consequences. Mm-hmm. Her robot uh, blew up. Yeah. Uh, it's our first, not our first character death, but like the first character death that sticks because the dead John uh, obviously becomes a not dead John very quickly. Mm-hmm. Also happened off screen. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. We, we didn't we didn't see <laughs> we didn't see him explode and the corpse be discovered. Uh, you know what? Very interesting to me. No emotions about that one way or the other. Uh, like, for me. Oh, OK. Yes. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. They, mm-hmm. they died. That's a dream version. Who cares? Right. No, I my sort of same feeling, actually, also. Right. Like it's OK. Right. Like eight. Like we had two versions of a character and now there's one less version. All right. Yep. Like it's it's sad for Jade in kind of like objective plot terms because we, we get the letter from her uh, after the pen pals letter where mm-hmm. she talks about all the fun she wants to have with Dream John once he wakes up and, and uh, show it show off Prospect and stuff. And of course, Prospect has been destroyed and uh, she's dead. Dream her is dead. There is no more shall Dream Jade romp around Prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should kill all their dream versions. That's just my opinion. <laughs> okay, let's get this back to one version per, per uh, character here. It makes sense. Uh, uh, the other thing, like, actually, so this is this is uh, some more fan art that I kind of want to uh, make a point of speaking of mm-hmm. dead dream Jade. And this is again, this is something that shows up in the in the something awful uh, forums. Mm-hmm. This is uh, art that I, I believe it's by Lexi, who is Lord um, in heaven. Yeah, this is this is by Lexi, who I th- I think who becomes a, a member of the art team and does a lot of work later on. Um, Alexander Douglas. Um, and it's a it's like Dream Jade's corpse lying on the ground uh, and then like a very sad looking Dream John, like leaning over her, look, you know, very distressed like it's and this is what we are going to call in the future sad stuck uh, where 
the the fandom will focus in on or elements of the fandom right and this is this is a thing about fandom generally uh focusing in on the points of high sadness for the characters right the strong emotion of like what do you feel like when things go bad when someone you have near you dies and in that sort of thing and uh using fan works to kind of like linger on those emotions uh i want to show you then uh cameron another piece of fan art um that people in the something awful thread are talking about uh because they're like man this is really messed up um this comes from the the official forums as well and this is from just after it was revealed that uh john shooting off into the gate uh resulted in an alternate timeline where he died lord so this shot is it's it, this is like a point of view shot mm -hmm. uh, where like you can see John's glasses. By this point, he has like his computer is integrated with his glasses so he can see like, you know, chat logs on his glasses frames. Um, we are looking through John's eyes at his glasses frames, which are both cracked and like spattered with blood. We can see the chat window where he's talking to GC, who has just sent him off to fight the denizen. And then we see him with another chat window open saying uh, with Rose, uh, Rose, Rose, I'm sorry. Um, then we see the rest of John's body, uh, which is also covered in blood. There's a huge blood pool underneath him. Uh, we can see his reflection. He can he's looking at his own hands, looking at all of the blood that is like on him from presumably right the, the death blow, right? He is being killed. Um, and people are you know, people pull this into the uh, something awful thread and they're like, man, look at these fan artists. Look how messed up they are. Um, so this is this is this this is the sort of thing that happens in fandom, right? You get such wildly divergent interests in terms of like, what is it that I want to do with these characters? What are the situations that are interesting to me about them? Uh, Cameron, do you have your reader app open? I do. Uh, go to page uh, 1934. 1934. I'm going to hit the enter button. OK. Uh, what? So this is uh, when Dave finds his corpse. He, he realizes um, the journals from Rose mm -hmm. have been stolen. He goes back to his room. He's like, shit, I should go back in time and stop that from happening. But then he turns around and he sees his own corpse lying on the ground. So he knows that in a previous uh, uh, like dead timeline, he tried to go back in time and stop this from happening. And then he just got killed. Mm -hmm. uh, so then we get this shot, which is Dave's hands. Uh, he's clearly like looking at them covered in his own blood, uh, which is uh, really hard not to, you know, think that this is a callback to that piece of fan art from uh, John's dead timeline uh, that that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, so this is again, right, we are seeing Hussey looking at fan art, taking kind of like visual cues from it and reproducing them with different characters and in different situations. Yeah, because he had to throw his own dead body out of the window. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so I, I just, I want to, uh, I guess point that out, right? This is another way in which, uh, the, the, the suggestion box has gone away. And as you put it, uh, previously has become the entire internet really, or the entire mm -hmm. fandom mm -hmm. circulation. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I think I think that about uh, uh, ties it up. Uh, I make make what judgments of me that you will based on the fact that this is when I was basically locked into Homestuck. I wanted to see where this story was going. Right, what is going to happen with this thing that is um, simultaneously clearly creating a fandom, uh, using that fandom's works and and sort of uh, you know validating them in a way that to me in 2010 was just sort of unprecedented. Right, like this is not what was going to happen with Avatar: The Last Air airbender or or harry potter obviously or or the hunger games if you must insist cameron mm-hmm. and also avatar the other one <laughs> avatar the other one you know, the blue one <laughs> yes i know i know exactly what you mean but i just really like the idea of it being called avatar the other one yeah um, everyone knows jim cameron's okay with that he's fine mm-hmm. he doesn't care. <laughs> uh so uh you know w- this is where I was like, OK, let like let's see where this is, goes. Right. Uh, and to let you know, the listener and, you know, Cameron um, Hussey has made it clear that the next act is going to be about the trolls. So this is a thing that people are already looking forward to. Mm. Uh, and uh, it, it's like excitement is really high. Right. We've already got people in the thread being like, oh, man, I feel kind of bad, but I think I like the trolls more than I like the kids. So we're going to get some trolls. Um that's what we have to look forward to uh, next time when you come see us on Homestuck Made This World, made by Ranged Touch. Uh, you can find out more about us at rangetouch.com. Find out about all the shows that we make, like Just King Things, reading the books of Stephen King in publication order, James, Game Study Study Buddies, where we read works of academic game studies and make them accessible. And if you want something closer to actual game games, uh, you can check out Too Much Future and Mages and Murder Dads uh, about the Fallout franchise and the Baldur's Gate lineage, respectively. In addition to all this awesome content that we make, you can help us make more of it uh, by supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash range touch. This will get you access to bonus goodies, uh, Just King Things bonus episodes, or because we've already announced it and are maybe already doing it by this point, the Homestuck bonus material, uh, which will include things like uh, us talking about Con Air and also reading through and talking about Problem Sleuth and, and not to mention other things that we kind of have waiting in the wings. Um, and then the, maybe by this point also we have kind of our, our higher $15 tier where uh, we're going to do other things that we haven't talked about, but I think will be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter at uh, Range Touch, you'll get updates about whenever podcasts are dropping. Um, also, for instance, if we might do some Q&A stuff with uh, the bonus episodes. Uh, so when we have when we put out the call for the questions, uh, that will probably happen on Twitter. You can follow us at Range Touch to find out when that stuff happens and also see, you know, whenever one of us decides to make a fun joke or something. Um, also please leave us reviews on Apple podcasts or whatever your podcast platform is, uh, let people know about us, recommend us to your friends, uh, especially if you, if you have friends who are really into Homestuck, but have been holding off because what they care about is the trolls, all the little gray kids. Uh, now's the time to tell them to catch up with this show, figure out this Homestuck thing, and then join us live in a couple of weeks when we start talking about act five and learn all about these troll kids and all of their adventures. We will be reading up through page uh, 2,194. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Cameron, anything to add? Nope, I'm just going to take us out with the famous catchphrase. Great. Great.